last lap. Amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> you know, as uh, Pastor Tristan was praying there, and for those guys on the scripture, please give me Acts chapter 10. Just put it on there now. As Pastor Tristan was praying, she mentioned the fact that we're a product of love. And it just hit me. <clears throat> In the earthly realm, we know there are people that may have been a product of uh, what? Bad relationships. And sometimes even accidents. But when we recognize that with God, there is not a bad relationship or accident. That we are a deliberate intention in the heart of God. Like he spoke to Jeremiah. While you are in the womb, I knew you. Before you came forth, I already called and ordained you. So for every single one of us here tonight, you can be rest assured that no matter your experience relationally in the earth, that we have a heavenly father who intentionally made a decision before we ever came to planet earth that he loved us before we came forth and he will love us after it's all over. Now, that's the reason for which Paul said, we need to know the law in its depth, in its width, in its length, and in its breadth. And my prayer for all of us, not just for tonight, but in the oncoming weeks and months, that this love of God continue to be unveiled and revealed to us by the power of his Holy Spirit. Because this is so key in everything we've been talking about. Come to grace. Love is the fuel behind grace. If you take the love away, it's over. That's why in Philippians chapter 1 in verse 9, Paul, this great apostle who, was, who knew for sure that he would not be seeing the Philippian church any longer, and he had to pen one last letter to them. Folks, think about it. If you were to write your last letter, what will it be? What will be in it? If you are to be writing a last letter to a people who will not see you any longer, but you want to leave a legacy, something with them that will last them and carry them on. Paul took his pen and he said to that Philippian church that their love may abound more and more. Because he recognizes if they can ever catch that, they will be so powerful, nothing can stop them. Folks, we are unstoppable. We are absolutely, every living day, I see it more and more. We are unstoppable. Apostle John, in his old age, at Ephesus, historians tell us this. This is not in your Bible. 
He couldn't travel any longer. He couldn't go from church to church like he used to, but they would bring, they carry him to church. And every week, they would pull on him. Tell us, what's on God's mind for us today? And this guy kept on telling the same thing, week after week. Love, love one another. Next week, they bring him again. Maybe God will say something else. What's God saying? Love one another. After a few weeks of that, they asked him, Apostle, is there another message? <laughs> he said to them, if you do this one, it covers everything else. And I, I pray that God will help us tonight to get to some things because for 2,000 years, Jesus began this church. And uh, some of the things we are grappling with today, I believe love will resolve them within the proper context. Amen? So, let me go again tonight and just say one or two things and then we're going to get right into the starting at the finish line. I want to say again to those of us that were not here last night that I don't want us to get frustrated or impatient with learning in this new paradigm. I'm getting a lot of questions, good questions, from well-meaning people, because this is a total different way of thinking. And so what I'm saying to us is you're not going to get in one day. Be patient. We have good company. Apostle Peter did not get in one day. Acts chapter 10, verse 10. Verse 10. Look at Peter. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and led down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals on the, uh, of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. I mean, can you just hear the tone of Peter responding back to God? Peter is about to lecture God here on holiness. Are you kidding me? Do you know my pedigree? Do you know what denomination I belong to? We are the denomination of the koshas. <laughs> we only eat kosher. I'm in Judaism. Do you know who are you talking to? Yeah. Not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant. Now, I'm reading this because I want you to know Peter gave the inaugural address at the beginning of the church. So there was an assumption that this great preacher knew what he was preaching. And yet, when God was ready to reach Europe and came to Peter, Peter's old way of thinking was going to interfere with where God was going. And my prayer for us on this last night that is that our old ways of thinking 
will not stand in the way of us embracing our future and our destiny in Jesus' name. That every tradition that we've imbibed and embraced and received and accepted to be the norm, that the power of the Holy Spirit will destroy all of those traditions in the name of Jesus. That our minds be open to receive the engrafted word of God by the power of his spirit to bring us to a place of fulfillment and satisfaction, joy and liberty where we can truly and fully become all that God has called us to be in Jesus' name. Peter didn't get it. So I'm saying to you, don't be, be frantic. Just be open. Okay? Years went by. Now, let's go to Galatians chapter 2. Please give me this in the message translation. <laughs> Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. From verse 16. Thank you. Now we're still talking about Peter. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, oh yes. From verse 11, I'm sorry. From verse 11. 11 through 16. Message translation. Later, this is much later, much, much later from Acts 10. When Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face -face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. Here is the situation. He wants to break it down so you can understand it. Earlier, before certain persons had come from James, Peter regularly ate with the non-Jews. But when that Republican group Oh, they're here. Their chief is here tonight. <laughs> Joseph Andrew, that's the, that's the leader of the delegation, is here. <laughs> you are in the Bible, Joseph. Look at that. <laughs> but, what, but when that conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. Isn't that amazing what they do today? They, they did it back then. <laughs> That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in Antioch church joined in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was swept along in the charade. But when I saw that they were not maintaining a steady straight course according to the message, I spoke up to Peter in front of them all, if you a Jew live like a non-Jew when you are not being observed by the watchdogs from Jerusalem, what right do you have to require non-Jews to conform to Jewish customs just to make a favorable impression on your old Jerusalem cronies? We Jews know we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not set right with God. There you go. By rule-keeping, 
but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. Are you guys hearing this? We are not set right with God by how many rules we keep, how many regulations we follow. This is huge. This is the difference between the grace message and a traditional message that the church has preached up to now. Let me, let me stress this. All preachers agree that in order for you to be born again, you need the grace of God to be born again. We all do that. We all say that. But the amazing thing is, once people get born again, we now say to them to continue, that once you're born again, now from now, don't smoke anymore. Don't drink anymore. On and on. We give them all these rules and regulations as if the Holy Spirit does not know how to guide them. So grace becomes like a credit card that we put in their hand, pending the payment based on their personal responsibilities. And consequently, what we have is a mixture. Grace got you in, but works will get you right. And that's why we are not getting results. Because God does not want mixed multitude. He does not like mixtures. He says to us, we must pour the new wine in new wineskin. Because when you put new wine in an old wineskin, the Bible says, the wineskin will burst. And you will not be able to contain or keep it. That's the problem with the church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If it took faith to get us in, apart from works, then it would take faith apart from works to get me and you to our destination. Nothing more or less than that. Jesus plus nothing is everything. This is the amazing thing about this grace message. It's not about a doctrine or Bible theology. This is about a person. And his name is Jesus. And once you get the message, when you start reading your Bible, it's a totally different book. Because now we are no longer preaching or teaching self-helps for uh, behavioral uh, modification. No. No. Jesus did not come to modify my behavior. He came to destroy the old and bring it in new. And the two of them do not look alike at all. At all. There's no resemblance whatsoever. Let me read verse 16 again. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We tried it. <laughs> this is awesome, man. I like Paul, man. Paul is, is, is crazy. So he's not just telling you the truth. They say, listen, how do I know that you don't please God through self-help modification? How do I know that? He was a Pharisee of a Pharisee. According to the law, he says, blameless. He gave us his pedigree in the book of Philippians. Just so you know who is talking to you. I was there. I've handled it. I've tried it. And I'm telling you, having done it, it does not work. 
held it. And we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Our conservatives, they will, they will tell you that. Leave it up to the Republicans, they solve the world problem. Now, the day of the liberal, I'm going to get you guys. <laughs> For tonight, he's the Republican Party. <laughs> no, but seriously. Seriously. They had the best rules. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement. I like this translation. God. So, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. Listen, if you can take anything away from this week, let me say, let me say like this. Stop trying Start trusting. Stop trying. Start trusting. Stop trying. Start trusting. That's where I am. It's a reckless abandonment, but I'm telling you, I wish I'd been doing this 20 years ago. Stop trying, but start trusting. Stop trying, start trusting. Let's say that together. Stop trying, start trusting. That's all it is. Trusting a person, Jesus Christ. He that was, that is, and is yet to come. Trusting who? The Alpha and the Omega. Trusting who? The beginning and the end. And if you will, the in-between. Stop trying, but start trusting. Amen? So that's Peter's story. So you can see from Peter's story that he did not get it right away. It took him a while, but thank God, a day came when he got it. Because he now wrote to us, he said, we should grow in grace. So Peter finally got it. If Peter got it, you and I can get it. Amen. We can get it. Now, now, I, 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 I don't want to really focus on this tonight, but I just want you to know as well, even though we're talking about grace, God's love and the fact that God, uh, we shouldn't be trying and all of that stuff, we should trust in. We, we I should also throw it out there that you should recognize there are grave consequences for disobedience and sin. Grave. Grave. First Timothy chapter 6, 10 tells us how those hearts of those people who commit sin are pierced with many sorrows. Many, not just one or two, many sorrows. And I really don't want to focus on that because you've heard enough about sin for all your lifetime. I no longer want to peddle sin or not trying to tell you not to sin. See, because this is the problem. Because we focus so much on sin, you know what happens? People produce sin. Listen, look at Hollywood. Why do you think they bombard you and I with all these commercials? And they show you all kinds of things in the commercials. Things you are not thinking about when you see it and you watch it long enough, you're going to go out and do it. They know. There's a correlation between what you see and hear and what you do. That's why we should only preach Jesus and him crucified. 
Because you preach that enough, you see Jesus enough, you produce Jesus. But if I'm telling you every Sunday, don't sin, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't do this, what do you think you're going to do? You're going to do exactly what I said, don't. Eh? So let's just focus on Jesus. And as we focus on him, I'm very certain he will be producing us what uh, he deserves for us to be. Now, one last thing I want to say, and I'm going to jump into tonight's message. I am more, much more confident now, a year later, than I was when this whole message began. About this issue of the fact that you cannot be lost. I threw this last night, but maybe I did not see it as well last night because I got a couple of questions on it last night. If my coming to the earth had nothing to do with me, I did not choose my parents. I did not choose the place of my birth. I did not choose the year and the day. I had nothing to do with it. I just found myself here. Okay? And for adventure, I did not like my parents. I thought my parents should have been Rockefeller. Or Paul Getty, or some rich, famous, wonderful person. Ah, I don't know if I should go there. No, let me go there. Let me go there. No, seriously. True story here. I was in secondary school. My father, my natural father, it's an inspector of education. So in my household, the standards were different. One year, my father thought I did not do as well as I should have done. He said, you're going to repeat the class. True story. Hey! I came home and said, God, I will repeat the class. Because in boarding school, now you know to understand, boarding school, seniority is the pecking order. The junior boys are, tor are tormented this year. Next year, I'll be on the same class with them. True story, true story. I'm, I'm not sure if Kunle was old enough to know this. I can't even remember. True story. When that holiday period came, I went home with trepidation. Already condemned. True story. Watch what happened. First week went by. It's not said anything about what's going to happen. Are you going to go back to school and repeat that class or what? It's not told me what my fate was. So every day, I was in suspense. Every single day, I didn't know when this man is going to bring the verdict. So, true story. Came home, he came home one day and said, yes, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to have to repeat that class. Ah. I said, okay, I have a plan. True story. True story. On my own, I went to various other good schools in the city. Loyola College was one of them. No, seriously. I met with the principal. I tried to arrange and talk my way. <laughs> 
The guy declined me. So I'll, on one Sunday after church, I took my few belongings. My few, my few belongings, I went to, if I mention the name of the place, some of you guys are living, but I will know it, others may not. Sabo, this is a place where, the, where some people from the north. A pawn shop. Pawn. I went and pawned my few things for cash. And I took off. I went to like, no, seriously, true story. True story. Did you know this story, Kule? You didn't know this story? Praise God. <laughs> true story. I was determined to change my parents. Because I could not bear the burden of the shame and the condemnation of repeating the class. So for two weeks, I was gone. I was gone. But the person I was with was a person that was close to home. I mean, uh, it was a policeman and uh, I mean, next door neighbor to us. So, I mean, after a while, because I told him I came on vacation. But you know, he, and he didn't argue with me. <laughs> the guy did not argue with me. So after a while, I guess he found a way to double check back. I bet this guy is here one day, two days, three days. He's not talking about going back home. And next thing I knew, one day, my father showed up at the door. Came back and got me. Man. Now I'm sharing that within the context of. You may not like your parents. You don't, you don't like what's happening in your life. You've even changed your name. You try to put a distance between you and your lineage. You put an ad in a newspaper to show for sure that I'm no longer this or that. Can that ever remove the fact that your parents are your parents? The time I was moving around and pawning my things, I'm going to this city and that city, and going to meet this man, does that remove the fact that my parents are still my parents? I'm saying that to say this to you. If that is so in the natural, how much more spiritually? Because he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him and believed on his name, he gave the power to become children of God. Not born of man. Clearly, the Bible makes it clear. Not of the will of the flesh but of God. So how far can you run from your father? I'm talking about having your heavenly father now. What can you do to change that DNA? Yes, you have a righteous lifestyle, you went and lived as a pig, you went and did some crazy things. Does that remove your DNA? He may not be pleased with what you're doing. And he shouldn't if you're doing some crazy stuff out there. No. But I'm trying to get to the root of the situation. Root. It's an ID problem. Identity. Many of us tonight, not just those of us in this room, but those that will hear this message on video or audio, we are living what I call lie identities. Not identity, lie. L-I-E. A lie. Lie identities. 
We have an identity problem. Many of us have lost our birth certificates. And for some of us, the enemy has stolen it. And we are content to be in that lie identity format rather than reclaim our true identity and live as who God has called us to be. Amen? Ah. That prodigal son in Luke 15 that was gone from home, living with the pigs, righteous lifestyle, and on and on and on and on. While he was gone, did the father stop being his father? The father never stopped being his father. He may be away from his father, but the father never stopped being his father. And from that parable, we saw that immediately the boy was on his way back home. The Bible said the man, the father, saw him from afar off. What does that tell you? There was all, thank you, there was always an expectation in the, man's, in the father's heart that the boy would come back home. But not only that, he was longing for his return. Oh, my goodness. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. And when he came back home, he would not even listen to the boy's sad stories. And, and to be honest with you, in my case, when I told you that I left home, now thinking about it, my father never, he never went there either. Not that he had this revelation, but he never did. I guess he felt that it scared me enough. And he didn't want to put the fear of man anymore in me. <laughs> no, seriously. But looking at the story, the father never went there with him. That's the kind of father that you have tonight. You are a product of love, not works. God wants to deliver you and I from a performance anxiety syndrome. Ah. Okay, I'll get there, but let, let, let's just get, start the journey tonight. Go with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 9. And again tonight I'm speaking on starting at the finished line. Colossians 2.9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. We are completing him. Now, we've said this before, it just bears a little repetition now, that in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible talked about how God finished the work of his creation and thereafter he rested. We established that God rested not because he was tired. Rather, he rested 
because he had a satisfaction that the work was finished. And that in finishing the work, he had done everything that needed to be done and no hiccups, no problems, no making overs. Everything was just the way he wanted it. So God rested. The work of creation was done. Finished. Now, I said to us that we should remember the phrase, stop trying but start trusting. If there's anything else you need to remember, and you should always remember this when you're reading your scripture, it's in the Old Testament, it's about doing, 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 doing. But under grace, in the new covenant, it's, it's done, 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 done. Do you see the difference? One puts the emphasis on what I am doing. Old covenant. The other puts the emphasis on what he has done. Jesus. So, when the Bible talks about the finished work of God, it's referring to the fact that everything that you and I will ever need, Jesus has already finished and made provision for. That is the truth. Now, it begs the question then, if it is all done and completed, why is it that we seem to struggle, we have needs and lacks and all these issues? How do we bring into manifestation the things that God has already done? Because Paul tells me and you that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So even though it's completed, it's a finished work, there's a working out that's Needful on our part. Now, let me quickly define that working out because now you said you said we need to work again. I thought you said it's all done. No, there is a work that is a fruit of obedience. You follow what I'm saying? Not working as in laboring to try to do something to please him, but doing certain things as a result of what is already done and accomplished. Do you see the difference? I am not doing to get. But when I do work, when I do anything, I'm doing because I'm privileged and I get to. Mm. Yeah, I don't think you got it. I don't think you, don't think you get it. We, we look in church services and we're begging people, we need people to work in children's ministry, we need people to work as ushers, we need people to do this, to do that, to do that, beg, 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 do, 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 and we still can't get them to do it. You know why? ID issue. Identity issue. And if you that are working, they work and get burnt out, you know why? ID, identity. You see, when I fully know who I am and who God is in me, anything I get to do for God is a privilege, not an obligation. It's a privilege. I'm excited, I'm doing it with joy because I'm not doing it because I'm trying to please him I'm doing it because he's already pleased in me. Amen. Huge difference. Is the issue of a glass half full or half empty? Whatever you do with the wrong motivation, it'll burn you out. It'll burn you out. Okay? 
So when Paul says work at your salvation, he's not saying that you should go and work to be accepted by God or to receive favor from God. No. He's saying because you've been privileged. Because God had so much mercy on you and loved you so much as a result of this love relationship. Your response out of obedience, the fruit of that obedience is what you do for God. Not doing as doing to please God. I need to keep on saying that. You can never do enough to please God. Never. And you can never abstain enough to get his favor. No. But the truth of the matter is, when you are in a love relationship, love will compare you to do certain things. All of us here are products or uh, we have relationships. You fall in love with a man or a woman. You do things you didn't think you were going to do. Spending three hours on the phone is no big deal when you're in love. But do it without love. <laughs> After three minutes, wait a minute. Please, I need to go. I have, I have things to do. <laughs> but when the love juice is flowing, huh, three hours is like two seconds. It's not a burden. It's not a problem. So God wants me and you to see everything from that prism. Work out your salvation, he says. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that? Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Stop trying and start trusting. Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 19, it says, To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Why? Why shall I know the love of Christ? That I may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's not going to happen because of the things I do. But it will happen. I will grow and be able to work out my salvation when I come to know the love of Christ. That love will bring me to a place of the fullness of God. So you see how we get back to this love issue again? Just that quick. Agape. Know how much God loves me. Ah, man, it is, it is revolutionary. And unfortunately, in the English language, that word love is a word we throw around. And by throwing it around, we've lost the true, real meaning. Because we're talking about love of Christ for me, and I talk about how much I love Pixar. And Pixar can't do a thing for me, Don. Not a thing except to give me acid reflux. <laughs> Indigestion. Pot belly. Gifts I don't want. That's what it gives me. <laughs> Expanding my middle kingdom. <laughs> Daniel, why are you laughing? Do you like too much pizza? <laughs> Knowing the love of God, we're not going to get it all tonight, but 
That is a prayer worth praying. God, let your love abound in me more and more. These are real spiritual prayers. And as God begins to show you the different facets of his love, it's like diamond. When a jeweler puts a carrot of diamond under his glasses to look at it, the thing glitters and shines and turns around. You turn it and each way you turn it, it shows you a different radiance of the same stone. That's what God is like. So we know the love of God, number one. And then number two, number two, Jesus made this clear in John 13, 34. Love one another even as I have loved you. Now, you notice, if I don't know how he loves me, how can I love somebody else? That's a problem. The reason we don't love one another as we ought to love one another is because we first do not know how he has loved us. So I cannot give what I've not received. The love issue is something we can spend 10 years on. We will not scratch the surface. First, I know his love. Two, I love one another. But I said, what's going on with this mic? It was not like this when I started. So one, I know his love. Two, I love one another. And then Paul tells us in Romans 13, verse 8. He says, Oh, no man nothing but loving one another. And he made one statement that totally, completely blew me away. He said, for love is the fulfilling of the law. You remember the law? Romans 13, 8. Remember the law. Now, this guy's totally cutting me off. Thank you very much. Amen. Praise God. I love you anyway. So now, in the Old Testament scriptures, Deuteronomy 28 lists all the things that you must do in order for God to bless you. Well, not all. Some. Bless going out, bless and, that, and then all the things that will come upon the Jews as a curse if they disobey or violate God. So what Paul is saying is this, listen. Instead of trying to live and obey 630 laws, and James tells us when you miss one, you get no credit for the, all of them, for none of them. Can you imagine that? Let's assume it's, it's 630. And you do 629 and you miss one. The Bible says you get zero. Zero. Just to try to show you and I how futile it is in living by rules and regulation. So Paul said, listen, instead of trying to do 630, just focus on one. Love. And you don't do that love on your own. But Romans 5, 5 tells us that the love of God is being shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. You can start praying. 
Amen. So, we know the love of God and we love others. Now, let me get back to starting at the finished line. Starting at the finished line. I said to us that God has finished it. We are completed in him, Colossians 2.10. That being the case then, it's better now, please, you guys leave it alone, please. I think it's better now. Let, let me just manage and, 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 and cruise and just land without further tinkering. Thank you very much. God bless all of you. Amen. Um, <laughs> so for me and you, this is, the, this, is the, this is the crux of the matter. As a believer, we should only start our life where Jesus finished it. That is what I mean by starting at the finished line. Okay, I know that's, that sounds like, how do I start where it finished? Simple. Go with me to John chapter 19. John 19. John 19. In verse 30. Yeah, the mic seems to be working very well now. I don't know who fixed it. Maybe the angels came in and did it. Or... <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> John 19, 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. Please don't miss the play of words here. Because in Luke chapter 2, in verse 49, I believe it was. Is that the right scripture? Yes, Luke 2, 49. When Jesus was a young boy, and he went with his parents to the temple, and on the way back, he was missing. And he finally found him. And he said something to them on that day. Wish you not that I must be about my father's business. So from the beginning, he let his parents know, I have a mission. And that mission is being about my father's business. So here in John 19 verse 30, he concludes being about the father's business by saying, it is finished. In other words, I finished the father's business. Every, everything that has to do with satisfying the law, the demands of the law, I did it. The judgment that should have been on me and you, he took it. Ah! Let, let me read that scripture, John chapter 12. John 12. This, this scripture did something to me. Hmm, verse 31. John 12, 31. John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the rule of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, withdraw all peoples to myself. Now, in my Bible, that word people is in italics. 
which means it's not really there in the original. And I cross-check this in the Greek interlinear Bible. This is what it reads. And I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, withdraw all to myself. All what? What is spoke about in verse 31? All judgment. All judgment. All judgment. All judgment. Check the Greek interlinear Bible. People is not there. People is not there. These translators, because it, it didn't make any sense to their head, they put people to, they, because they thought they were helping us get better understanding, they were killing the scriptures. First of all, you say, Pastor Bank, this, you are stretching this to make it fit. Really? Okay, let's read it the way you normally read it. And let's see if it is true. Because if the way you normally read it is the correct thing, and I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will drop all peoples to myself. Is he drawing all peoples to himself? Tonight? It's not a trick question. Is he drawing all peoples to himself tonight? No! These guys that just killed those guys in France. Is God drawing them? Because if he was drawing all people to himself, he would not say what he said when he said, he wished above all things, no, not that scripture, that God, uh, what's the scripture? That talks about how he does not wish that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. If he was already drawing all people, why would he be wishing something else? Why would he be wishing it? Why would he be wishing that people, none should perish? If he's drawing everybody, Are you following what I'm saying to you? But not only that, look at the grammar. Look at the grammar. Verse 31 says, now is the judgment of this world. So the subject is judgment. Now is the subject, is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. What am I saying? What's the point I'm making? Every judgment that was due you and I. Past, present, future. He do it to himself. There is no further judgment upon me or you. If you can believe it. But if you like, you can argue with it and debate it. And I'm telling you, this is the reason Christians are weak. I lack confidence. First John says, if my heart did not condemn me, I have confidence before God. How will my heart not condemn me when I know there's no judgment due me? I know every judgment is taken care of and paid for. So I don't have to tiptoe to come and find God. I have confidence. I know that when I approach him, he's there. And on that throne, only two things happen. Mercy and grace. Not judgment. Because when Jesus said it is finished, every judgment that was against me, God took upon himself. There is no further judgment against this dude. I don't know about you. Totally, completely free of any judgment. 
shall have a good sense of self-worth. Not because of who, not because of myself, but because of who he is in me. And that's the same thing he wants every one of us to have. So the law was satisfied, judgment was upon him, and of course the cross was the greatest expression of God's love to mankind. And at the same time, his holiness magnified when he said, it is finished. It is finished. Now, let, let me just try to wrap this up. So the starting point for us is when he said it is finished. At that point, that's where I start. The law that was written against me, satisfied. Judgment that was due me, satisfied. The love of God expressed incredibly. His holiness magnified. What's the next thing he did? In John chapter 20. The Bible said those disciples were so afraid, scared, because their master, Jesus, who led them for three years, had been crucified. In John chapter 20, verse 19. No, yes, John 20, 19. Let's, let's go there. Let, let's read this together. John 20, verse 19. Then, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. At the finish line, where it is all done, that's where you and I start. The next step we take, peace. Peace. The kingdom of God is not in meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Your right standing with God, the first thing he does for you is peace. I'm at rest. Oh my God. I'm no longer laboring. I'm not striving. I'm not afraid of judgment. It puts you in calm. It makes you be at peace. It is finished here. Here I get peace. Because peace is not the absence of trouble. It's only the presence of God. Trouble all around me, but ha, I'm at peace. Why? His name is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord God, my peace. Whatever the storms that the world brings, I'm not afraid of it. Why? It is finished. He judged everything concerning me. Concerning me. The Lord that was contrary to me, he nailed to the cross. He's expressed his love by hanging and dying for me. Satisfied the demands of his holiness. So whatever the world brings, my answer is only peace. Now look at what he did in verse 20. That's in the chapter. He pronounced peace upon them. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. What am I saying to us? We are not talking about a mere proclamation of peace that has no backing. This is not just a mere making noise. Muhammad can come here tonight and say peace. Does he have anything to back it up? Buddha can come with his big belly and say peace. Anybody can make a pronunciation, but how many people can back it up? 
When you go to the bank or to the store, to the, uh, to, to the marketplace with a US dollar, a currency, and you put it on the counter, they can give you the goods. Why? Because they know the currency has the full backing of the government of this United States. So Jesus made a proclamation of peace to them. But notice he didn't just walk away. He showed them his hands. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. And the chastisements of my peace was upon him. By his stripes I am healed. Past tense. He's not just speaking mere words. He's backing up his words with the wounds. How many wounds did Muhammad take for you? Or Buddha? Or your friend? Or your brother? Or your sister? None! Jesus was the only one that could speak peace because he paid the price for that peace. It was not just a mere proclamation. The wound and the bruise were the righteous foundation upon which peace can stand. So I begin at the finish line. I move on and pick up peace. And then John chapter 21. What did they say to Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? Really what he's saying is, Peter, I finished it for you. I've given you peace. On the basis of these two things, can you really, do, do you know that I'm for real? Can you love me? Can you be with me? And the same question is posed to us tonight. He's demonstrated his love at the finish line. He's given us peace we could not purchase. On the basis of those two things, he said, Bank, can you really love me? Have I done enough to show you how much I care? Have I showed enough vestment in your life for me to not ask for you to love me? Finished line, it is finished. Peace be on you, peace. Number three, do you love me? It is only after that he tells them, follow me. Oh my God. Look at the traditional church. We reverse the system. We stand here and make altar call. You need to follow Jesus. Hey, if you don't follow him, you go to hell. We put followers, number one. Then we tell them a lie. When you follow him, you have peace. That swallowing pills, there's no peace. So we say follow, have peace, then we say you must love him. Then if you do the first three well enough, we'll see if we can make you a deacon. And then after you've been a deacon for 15 years, we make you an elder. And if you start smoking tobacco, you may become a, a who knows what, maybe a resident pastor. That's the church for you, my friend. But when you read the scripture and see Jesus for who he is, without these lenses of traditionalism and the law, when he called those fishermen, the Bible said he called them apostles and they were not born again. At work firm, you put them in the system for 15 years and then they make it, they are apostles. But with Jesus, the day he saw them, he called them by their destiny. 
He did not call them based on what they were at that moment. <laughs> I'm going you later on. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Why do we continue to label people based on what we see now? From day one, they were apostles. They didn't earn it, he conferred it. God help us. I said the issue is identity. It's identity. And at a later time, we're going to teach you that in depth. But let me just leave you with this. God knew what he was doing in Matthew chapter 3. When Jesus was being baptized, the Bible said heavens opened, the dove descended down upon him, and made a pronunciation. This is my beloved friend. Ah, okay, let me try again. This is my beloved servant. Are you sure? If I was to give you a quiz tonight, you can only call God by one of these three answers. No, not God, yourself. Any one of these three answers. A, you are a servant of God. B, you are a friend of God. C, you are a son of God. What would your answer be? Son of God. <laughs> you guys are very smart. <laughs> God did not call Jesus his servant. No, his friend when he introduced him to the world. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Not because he did anything, but because God was his father. Now, it is interesting that when the tempter came to Jesus in the next chapter, he did not try to tempt him by, are you a servant of God? Or are you a friend of God? He said, surely, if that be son of God, you should be able to do this. He wanted to sow a doubt, a seed of doubt in Jesus' mind about his sonship or his ID. Folks, this is a 2,000-year problem in the church. We have an ID problem. We have an ID problem. Paul made it clear that the Spirit of God is in you and I. Crying what? Abba! Father. But the enemy says, no, it's not your father. If it's your father, he will pay your rent. If it's your father, he will pay, your, pay for your car note. If it's your father, he will pay for your house note. On and on and on and on. And we are buying into that lie. Proverbs says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if the enemy can make me, or make me think that I'm anything other than who I am, I become what I'm thinking. I'm not going to do all of that tonight, but let me tell you four quick things that happens with ID. Your ID, number one, determines your tendencies. Number two, your tendencies determine your actions. Number three, your actions determine your consequences. And number four, all of those three become your reality. You've heard it said, I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, I'm not. 
am a saint who sometimes sin. Big difference. Because a sinner saved by grace. Sinner is the word noun. The verb there is the word sin. What do sinners do? They sin. So if the enemy can, can, can cause you to think that you're a sinner saved by grace, look how humble the things are. I'm a sinner saved by grace. It sounds so humble, like, oh, I'm a sinner saved by grace. A terrible lie. Sinner saved by grace. No, I am not. I don't care if you find in my hand a bottle of Heineken and I'm drinking it. Heineken, Gulda. I am not a sinner saved by grace. I'm a saint who sometimes sin. I don't care what you see me doing. I'm not going to buy into that lie. Because as a sinner who sins, my tendencies, which is my thoughts, things I'm thinking. If I'm a sinner, what am I thinking? I'm thinking sin. You think sin enough, what happens? You put it to action. You acted long enough, there are consequences. And a consequence automatically leads to reality. But if I'm a saint who sometimes sin, totally different perspective. Better still, I wouldn't call it saintship. I'm a son. I am a son. Because the Bible says a son abides in the house forever, but not the servants. So I say son, there are certain tendencies or thoughts that I have about my father. Those thoughts lead to certain actions. Ah, many of us here from various backgrounds, in those days as young people, they will tell you, you know whose house you're from. When you go out into the community, know how to behave yourself. They used to tell us that. They didn't know chapter or verse. They don't know Bible, but they just listen. Don, you know who you are. Don't go out there and act like those guys, okay? You know who's, who, what, what family you're from. Do you see how we all understand that easily? As a son, I know my father's expectations. Those expectations drive my actions. The actions drive the consequences. The consequences make it a reality. That's ID. Listen. Thank God for serving God. Thank God. John 15 says I can be a friend of God. I believe that. But let me tell you something. My children can serve IBM, Verizon, Apple, WorkFine, General Motors. They can serve all over the world, work in Dubai, US, wherever. They can have as many friends as they want to have. But they can only have one earthly father. So thank God that we get to serve God because of what he's done for us. Thank God that we get to be friends with God. But don't tell me that being a servant of God and being a friend of God equals being a son of God. I have friends that I've not seen this year, that I've not seen six months ago. They're my good friends. So what I'm saying to you, friendship has even its limitations. 
We can pick up the phone and speak like we've, not, we've been talking for the last two years. Fine. But I've not seen them. But when you have children, they're with you 24-7. That's the kind of intimacy and relationship that's available to you and I in God. When we recognize that God is our Father. So don't believe this lie identity. Lie identity. Don't believe that. Because it's finished already. You will not be any more a son or daughter 10 years from now than you are tonight. It's a finished issue. Done deal. So Paul says, now go live it out. Go live it out. And thank God that the Spirit of God in us will help us to bring it forth. Amen? Did you learn anything? Let's turn to our feet. Let's, 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 let's worship this in. Please don't let's be in too much of a hurry. I, I won't keep here all night. But I just want us to, let's worship this in tonight. This issue of knowing is a finished deal. You are no longer in a judgment. God is not judging you. He has finished the judgment upon the enemy. You are free from every judgment. And I want us to live here tonight with a sense of worth, knowing that Christ is in us and is, we are his children. If your birth certificate has been stolen, get a new one tonight. You are a child of God. And your birth certificate is from heaven. Get that certificate tonight. And love him in it and thank him for it.